0: To wake up, probably. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, have you ever wondered why God wasn't blessing your life? Like, you ever just going through life and, like, man, I really thought that God would be doing more, that this would be happening or that would be happening. I thought it'd be a different place in my life, and I'm not. And why hasn't God blessing my life like I think that He should? I think there, I think there are several reasons why. God doesn't bless our lives like, like we think that he should or um, maybe more than we think he should. Uh, I think one of those reasons is that, this, that like maybe we're just not spiritually ready to handle that blessing. Like, I think there are a lot of things that we don't think about that God sees and God deals with. And so maybe God's like, look, if I gave you that thing that you want, if I brought you to that point in your life... That might be good, you think, for you, but you're not ready to handle it. And so if I give you that blessing now, it's going to take your life in a completely different direction. Like God cares about you more than the things that you want. And so he's watching out for you and he's watching out for your spiritual well-being. And sometimes the things that we want or the way that we want God to bless us is going to take us in a different direction. I think sometimes God is waiting until everything and everyone around us is ready for that blessing. Like the things that happen to us don't just happen to us in like a vacuum. It affects other people. And God is looking at way, way more stuff than we are, right? and So he's seeing how what's going on in our lives is going to affect the lives of other people and our families and our neighbors and our church And so he's looking at how everything is fitting together and and he recognizes that sometimes if I give this blessing to this person or I bring this person along when they want to be, everybody else around them won't be ready. And so God sees more than you and I do. And he's not just looking at us individually, but he's looking at us as a whole and how that's gonna benefit everybody. It's possible that what you want or that you think God should be doing in your life won't actually be beneficial to you. And so I've been with people like, hey, there's this new job, and I really want to take it, and I think it's going to be more money, and it's going to be this, it's going to be this, it's going to be be so much better. And they take the job, and what happens is it's not quite what they thought it was going to be, and it ends up taking them out of church. It disconnects them from other believers, and they find out that spiritually things are worse when they got what they thought it was that they wanted. So God knows that too, and he's always working in our lives But I think there's another way, and and maybe we don't want to admit this, or maybe we don't want to see it or pay attention to it, but, but I think sometimes God doesn't bless us in our lives, and God doesn't get us to that place that we think we ought to be, simply because we're not walking in his way. We're not living a life that, that he called us to. We're not doing the things that he would want us to do. And he's like, hey, you got to get these foundational things uh, set before you move on to the next thing. And so sometimes God doesn't bring those blessings that we think he ought to into our lives. Because we're going off in a different direction already. I think that last one is exactly what was going on with the Israelites. More than 70 years ago, their parents and their grandparents were hauled away from Jerusalem and to the city of Babylon. It was a very long trip. It took multiple months uh, of walking to get from one place to the next. And Babylon was where Nebuchadnezzar was. If you know your Bible, you know the, some of the stories that happened under, under old Nebi, if you're a, a VeggieTales person Uh, oh Nebi did some really awful things like that's Shadrach Meshach and Abednego right the fiery furnace that's Daniel if you read Old Testament book of Daniel that story's in there and so that's Nebuchadnezzar and he hauled all of Israel out of Jerusalem and back to Babylon they'd been in exile for about 70 years and then God did what God promised to do he was ready to bring them back See, the reason that, that they were in exile in the first place is because they weren't following what God wanted them to do. They had done, in fact, the exact opposite of what God had told them to do. When the Israelites left Egypt and they made it into the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the desert, they finally made it into the promised land. God was active and he was working and he was driving out to other peoples and, and they came in and they took possession of the land that they had been given so many years before and like everything was good. And then pretty soon they started following the practices of the nations around them. Nations that worshipped other gods and false idols and and things made of gold and silver and wood. And and the Israelites began to adopt that false idol worship. They began to follow the gods of the nations around them. They began to intermarry with those people and bring those gods into their homes. And, And the time that the Israelites finally were kicked out of Jerusalem by God and taken into exile, they had actually set up idols in the temple of God. God said, that's it, I'm done. And they went into exile 70 years before God brought them back. But after that 70 years, he did exactly what he promised. He brought a remnant of people back to Jerusalem from from Babylon. And when they left Babylon, like they were excited, right? I mean, everybody was together. They had a big old party. They were shouting. They were hooping and hollering. They were super excited about getting ready to go back home. And then they faced this Journey of months and months as they made it back to Jerusalem. And even though for during most of that time, um, one of the trips they had like an armed guard from the king of, of uh, the Medes and the Persians, King Cyrus gave him like an armed guard to make it about halfway back home. And, and he gave him provisions and he gave him the stuff that was going back in the temple of God. And they got back to Jerusalem and they had to rebuild the temple, which is difficult. And they began to rebuild the outer walls of the city of Jerusalem. And it took them a long time. When they got home, they discovered that life was hard. and That there was a lot of work that they had to do to rebuild the temple, the outer walls. Then they had to have food. So they had to to find farmland. They had to cultivate it. They had to plant seed. They had to grow crops. They had to get animals, herds and and flocks. And they had to find uh, grass for them. And they had to raise them. And all of this took time. And it took lots of people and lots of resources. But there were not very many Jews who had returned. And there was a lot of work. And because of this situation... Because of the difficulty of what they were dealing with, once again, the Israelites began to abandon God's commands and find other ways to face the challenges of their new life. They had to find other ways, they thought they did anyway, to get the things in their lives that they thought they deserved. Like, I think they thought they were going to get back to Jerusalem and God was just going to show up in a big way and everything was going to be taken care of and all this stuff was going to happen and it was going to be great. But they got there and found out was a lot of work to do, and it's a difficult task, and the nations around us don't really want us to succeed, and so they struggled with a lot of that stuff. And they thought, well, if God's not going to provide the things we think we deserve, we're going to get it on our own. They once again began to abandon God's commands. Here's what the Israelites did, really. They blamed their choice to sin on their current situation. Like, God, if you wouldn't have put me in this place, I wouldn't need to, like, fill in the blank. So, God, if you didn't bring me here, God, if you didn't give me this job, God, if you didn't give me this spouse, I wouldn't have to. And don't we do that a lot in our lives? We're not going to blame ourselves. I don't blame myself for anything. I'm like, well, that's my wife's fault, or that's my kid's fault, or that's just life, you know. And so we got to try and figure out a way kind of around God to get to the things we want. Now, because there weren't very many people, many of the men, the Israelite men, began to look for wives outside the nation of Israel. That led them to begin, once again, to adopt the false religious practices of their now fiancées. So that when they married, they offered the sacrifice to God. And then in the temple of God, they would also offer sacrifices to the now wife's uh, false gods. Right in the temple. And because the local economy was really bad, the people of Israel stopped giving their tithes and offerings to the Lord and they held back the things that they had. We don't have enough to give. And even though God commanded it, we're going to hold back because we got to have enough to take care of ourselves. The Israelites were practicing what's called situational theology. Situational theology. And it it just means this, that, that we're determining right and wrong based on the current situation that we're in so we no longer base the decisions that we make on the foundational truths of God's word those things that were given to Moses uh, on Mount Sinai what we read in the scripture they weren't basing their decisions on God's word they were basing it on well things like how they felt what was happening And so what might be wrong for one person wasn't wrong for somebody else, and and it just depended on where they were and what was going on. See, Israel had come back to the land of God, but they hadn't come back to the laws of God. And then they wondered why God wasn't blessing them. Well, I think the same thing happens to you and me today. We use our current situation to justify our sinful actions. We're happy to follow God and and we're happy to obey God as long as things are going well. As long as the cultural impact of our faith isn't too great. But when things in our lives begin to go wrong, when we want something that we're not getting, when we expect God to do something that he doesn't appear to be doing, we begin to figure out a way to get what we want or what we think God should be giving us without him. Now, let me just give you a real-life example of this. If I decide there's something that we need in our house, you know, like a new TV or whatever, and I go to my wife, you know, God in our family. I'm kidding. (laughs) And I go, hey, I want this new TV. And she says, no, we can't afford it, or we don't need it, or whatever. What I begin to do is figure out a way to get that without her. Like, I'm not going to, like, I can't, like, she makes the money in the house. I'm not going to, like, I just go out and get it. But I'm going to figure out a way to get her to see my side. Like, she, like, one day I want her just to walk in and go, you know, I think we probably need a new TV. And so I'm going to manipulate, I'm going to try, like, I'm going to go around her kind of and, and kind of get out of the way. Like, honey, we really need to, to have this. And so that's what we do sometimes, our faith. God, you're not giving me what I think I need or what I think I want. And so I'm going to find a way to get that like without you we adjust our theology what we know about god or or what we know we ought to be doing to fit our situation and then once we've tried it without god we blame our choice to sin on our situation so god's not doing what we want God, I think you should be doing this. You're not doing it, so I'm going to figure out another way to get what I think I deserve in my life. And then once we do that, and we find out that that's not really all we thought it was going to be, we go, well, God, you're the one who put me in that situation. You're the one who left me there. Like, it's your fault, God. You should have known. Whatever. For the Israelites, they might say this. Um, God, look, there were, just, there were no women for us. There were not enough Israelite women for us to marry uh, within our nation. And so we had to go outside of that. Or God, look, we didn't have enough money to meet our needs when we had 100% of it. How are we going to function when we only have 90? Here's what we need to remember. and, And it's our bottom line for today. Your situation, whatever situation you happen to be in right now, doesn't limit God's dominion It just limits your vision. Uh, Let's think about that. Problem comes into our lives. Something's happened in our lives. We think it should be a certain way. It's not that way. And then that's all we can see. But our situation, whatever it is, our situation doesn't limit God's dominion. Like he's always over everything. He always has the power. He always has the ability. He always has the resources to get us out of whatever it is we're in, to bless us, to bring us through, to give us strength. Sometimes we can't see it because of our situation. You and I may not be able to see how God will get us out of our current situation, but that has to do with our lack of vision and not God's lack of dominion over any and every situation that we face. So whether it's marriage or it's money, it really is about how much we trust God to provide and work in our lives. So I want to take a look this morning. Again, we're in Malachi at two areas where the Israelites had had like just blown it when it came to following God's law. Marriage and money. And we're going to see what that has to say, um, not just to the Israelites, but, but what we can apply to our lives today. So we're going to be in Malachi chapter 2. Uh, For a little bit, then we're going to jump to Malachi chapter 3. So again, you can follow along in your Bibles, you can follow along on uh, your mobile device, you can follow along on the screen. Um, You can also go to reallifecc.us, click on my message notes, all that stuff is there as well. So Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. Here's what Malachi says. Remember, Malachi is God's prophet and he's speaking to the people. They've come back from exile, they're sinning, Malachi is dealing with them. So God's talking to Malachi. He says this. Do we not all have one father? Talking about God. Did not one God create us? So why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. That's one of the tribes of of Israel. There's a whole lot of explanation there. But just substitute Judah for, for Israel for the moment. Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary of the, the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, Jacob, and even though he brings an uh, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Okay. The Israelites had not just gone off and found women from other nations they had found women who refused or were not convinced to convert to Judaism so let me just take a a, a moment out here to explain this a little bit because in church sometimes in the past in some of the history of America we have got it completely wrong God does not prohibit marrying somebody from another race Okay, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about, oh, you got to marry somebody the same color skin that you have, from the same part of the country, from the same, whatever. That's not what he's saying. What the prohibition is, is against people who are outside of your faith nationality. So the Israelites were followers of God, and they were supposed to follow God alone. But all the nations of the world around them followed multiple gods. And so the prohibition here was that if you're an Israelite, you need to marry somebody who's an Israelite so that you don't have to deal with what happens when you marry somebody from outside. Because that person you marry, often it was a woman who's going to be marrying into an Israelite family, is going to bring their foreign gods into your home, and you're going to have trouble. Like marriage is difficult enough, right? It gets hard to be married to somebody else. you got to figure them out, and, and what happens, with like, like what they don't like, what they do like, how the look on their face. You know, after you've been married for a while, like you can just tell. And that takes a while to develop that kind of thing. And imagine having to deal with that where religion was concerned as well. And so God says, just look, it's easier if you don't do this. But there are lots of places in the Bible where Israelites married people outside of the nation of Israel. In fact, Moses is a good one. Moses was a Jew, right? He was a Hebrew. He lived in Egypt. He was raised in Pharaoh's household. He left because he had killed one of Pharaoh's uh, servants. He fled, and he met a Cushite woman, not an Israelite, and he married her. But he married her after she had converted to Judaism. He shared about his God and about what God had done for his people and what God was doing in in his life, and she converted, and then he married her. And there's some really interesting things that happened after that. You can read about that in Genesis. Go read the story of Moses. God wanted his people to know, I think overall, that marriage isn't just about husband and wife. It's a picture of God's unconditional love for and covenant with his people and his church. So God takes marriage seriously because it's a serious thing. And it's, a, it's a, like it's a picture of God and his church. Like we as, as men, the Bible tells us to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. As God loved the people of, of Israel unconditionally. So it's a big deal. I, I'm so excited. We have five couples right now, um, last week and then today, going through the love and respect marriage course with Bill and Melody Galt. And, and that, let me just tell you, for those of you who are going through that, I am so excited that you're going to go through that, and that you're learning things about how to love and respect each other, and, and it's going to be better for you, it's going to be better for your family, it's going to be better for your neighborhood, it's going to be better for us, it's going to be better for our community, and I'm so excited that you're doing that. Because marriage is such an important thing. And so Malachi's looking at the situation, he's like, look, when a husband divorced his wife... For no good reason, the picture of God's love for his people was destroyed. How can you say, look, marriage is this picture of God's love for his people, but then you're getting a divorce and I don't understand that. It doesn't fit. God would never leave his people. His word is his bond. He loves them, protects them, provides for them. So when a man divorces his wife, it shatters the picture of the relationship God has with his people. Malachi goes on to say that a man divorcing his wife is as bad as if he was physically violent with her, the one he swore to love and protect. That's why this part about marriage is in here in Malachi 2. And I just encourage you to read the rest of that chapter. It's really good. But that's not really what we're focusing on today. These Israelite men, to appease their prospective wives... They brought false idols into God's temple. They made sacrifices to them just as they did to God to seek blessing for their marriage. More than that, if you read on in the chapter, they began treating God like he was a false god. So the way that other nations would worship their false gods is they had to get their attention first. So they would bring their offering into their false god temple or up on the hillside where they had an idol constructed or whatever, and they'd do all kinds of things. They'd cut themselves, they'd throw themselves on the ground, they'd cry and they'd scream and they'd wail and do all these kind of things, cause this big old commotion. So imagine if you can, a group of people coming into this temple or up onto this hill and they're all just acting crazy and screaming and screaming. yelling because they're trying to get the attention of their god because if they can get the attention of their god they believe they'll get the blessing of their god like look god how much i'm doing look at all the things i look how loud i'm being look at how much i'm cutting myself look at how much i'm doing all these things i'm bringing this offering to you and so god that god then owed them a blessing because they made such a commotion They tried to buy God's favor with their sacrifices. So the men with their foreign wives would come into the temple and they would wail and they'd moan and they'd do all of these things in front of God, trying to get God to bless them. The problem is that that God already favored them. God already loved them completely. Like there's nothing you can do. God doesn't work like a genie. Like you don't put a quarter in and get a pop out. It's not the way God works. And so It's like, look, when you worship me the way other people worship their gods, it doesn't work. It's like not the same. We're not equal. God's like, I'm the one that created the universe. That thing is just a pile of sticks. There's no comparison here. They didn't need to earn God's favor because they already had it. They just weren't walking in it. and So their sin brought a consequence. Verse 12 says that those who did this, those who brought foreign women in the temple, they worshiped other gods in the temple, that they should be kicked out of the family of the Israelites. Now that was worse than being an exile, right? You could be an exile in another country and still be an Israelite, still be a Jew, still claim that you're going to heaven, that you worship the one true God. But if you were kicked out of the nation of Israel, that's like it. Like there's no coming back for you. Like you're done. You're separated. If you're not a Jew anymore, you can't be a part of God's family. So here's the command. Do not marry outside your faith. Otherwise, your spouse may lead you away from God. And we know from, from the commandments that God is a jealous God, that he doesn't want us worshiping inanimate objects of wood and clay when he is alive and active in our life. So God wanted the people to understand that it wasn't the offering they brought that was important. It was their heart. Their heart needed to be fully devoted to him. And they needed to come to him and worship as their father, not as they would a false god. Because he alone is worthy to receive our praise. And so when it comes to worshiping God, the heart is more important than the how. We come on Sunday mornings and, you know, sometimes I criticize like, oh man, you wear t-shirts and jeans to preach and you just must not respect God very much. No, I just know that it's more about my heart than about how I come to worship. We're going to raise our hands and we're going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to do what we feel like, whatever God moves us to do. We're going to do those things because we realize if it's coming from here, all that other stuff doesn't matter as much. We got to get to chapter 3. Malachi again speaking from God to the people, Malachi 3 6 to 12. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees, and you have not kept them. Return to me, he says, and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? This is God's response. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you have robbed me. How are we robbing you? You're robbing me in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops. The vines of your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now in this second situation... The Israelites, because of their lack of financial means, because of the opportunity or the lack of opportunities that were there, had begun withholding what God, uh, or holding from God, what little they had. I like how God starts this section. He says, I am God, and uh, and I don't change, and so you're not destroyed. Uh, I'm going to say that in a way that maybe you'll get. He basically is saying this sorry, not sorry. Like, look, you, you people, you're, you're going through some difficult times, and we understand that, I get that. You're going through those times because it's discipline, and if I didn't discipline you, like, i just destroy you. Like, I'm not destroying you because I made a promise way back to your ancestors. I don't change even if you change. So God's like, look, sorry, not sorry about your situation, your fault. This is uh, uh, th- their sin deserved a harsh sentence, but God would not destroy them because he had already promised that he wouldn't. And so this is what we need to know. God is faithful even when we're sinful. We're wondering about, God, why haven't you blessed me? Why haven't you done these things in my life? God is faithful even when we're sinful. So here's the command in this uh, chapter three. 10% of the first of your income goes to God because of who he is and to prove your trust in him. Once again, God's people had set aside his law for their own benefit. In the first case, they did what God had not commanded. In the second, verse, chapter 3, they didn't do what God had commanded. So in chapter 2, the first thing is a sin of commission. They brought into the temple foreign women and foreign gods, false gods, and they worshipped them in the temple. That was something that God had commanded them not to do. And so they committed a sin. But in chapter 3, they withheld what God had commanded them to do. And so they omitted a command. So that's a sin of omission. So in our lives, there's two kinds of sin that we can commit. We can commit a sin. We can do something God said not to do. Or we can not do something God said to do. But in this second case of chapter 3, there are two important differences. The Israelites' withholding of the tithe had resulted in a curse on the whole nation. In chapter 2, when the Israelite men married non-believing women, they were punished and cast out of the Israelite family. In chapter 3, when they withheld their tithe, the whole nation was punished, not just the offenders. They were punished based on the wording of, verse, uh, of the verses by drought. So remember, this is an agrarian society, right? They're growing crops. They have uh, herds and flocks. And if there's no rain in the Jerusalem area in Israel, nothing survives. Like that whole nation of Israel is built on these um, hills. It's just this this one hill after another. There's really deep ravines and there's uh, uh, water down in the bottom. But if it doesn't rain at the top of the hill, nothing grows. There's no grass to feed your flocks and herds. If it doesn't rain, the things that you plant on the hills don't grow. And so the whole nation is being punished because... Actually, the majority of people weren't following God's commands. And because of this, their economy plummeted. And so their sin affected more than just themselves. The whole nation, he says, is under a curse. And you read the text it says God's going to throw open the floodgates and pour out so much blessing. That's rain talk if you didn't catch it. That's what farmers, like farmer would understand that. Man, I need God to throw open the floodgates, pour out some rain. Right now, we need some rain and some moisture here in Kansas. We got stuff that needs to grow. And so we need that moisture in the ground. And if they didn't get it, they were going to die. So that's the first big difference. The whole nation was cursed. Secondly, the institution of the tithe was a test of sorts. A test to see whether God's people would put and keep their hope in Him or if they would trust in themselves. Again, the Israelites were God's favored people. He loved them. He wanted to bless them. He wanted them to, to have all of the things that they wanted. He wanted them to be a picture to the other nations of what a great God He is. But in order for them to experience His blessing, they had to put their full trust in Him. There's really one important lesson between Chapter 2 and chapter 3. And it's this. God won't commend what he doesn't command. God's not going to commend. He's not going to bless you for doing things that he didn't command. God didn't command the Israelites to marry outside their faith. And he didn't command the Israelites to withhold their tithes and offerings. So there was no way a just and good God could commend them for doing things he didn't command. That's called Sin. God disciplines sin because he loves us too much to let us reject his blessing without a fight. Today, I think Christians, we often get angry with God for not blessing what we bring to him. Like we expect God to be happy with whatever it is that we bring. And so we might give him a hasty prayer in traffic as we're trying to get to work on time. We may give, uh, be distracted in worship because we're thinking about lunch or about a chore or something else that needs to happen after church is over, a football game that's coming on, and instead of focusing on Jesus. We might put a few dollars in the offering to appease God. We might be too busy or too tired, we tell ourselves, to serve. So we bring to God less than what he deserves. The reality is that if you and I are not confronted from outside, from me or somebody else that you know, or convicted on the inside by Holy Spirit working in you, if you're not confronted or convicted of your sin, we'll never change, right? Right? If we don't see it, if somebody doesn't point it out, if we're not convicted by Holy Spirit, we're not going to change. That was the whole purpose of the prophets like Malachi. To make the people of God aware of the laws of God so they could enjoy the blessings of God. And we read Malachi and we kind of go, man, like God's a downer, right? Like he exiled his people to Babylon. That was a difficult thing. 70 years. Then he brings them back and, and, and they're struggling to rebuild the stuff of God, but God's not blessing them and he's not doing the things that he wanted to. We're upset like, man, God, when are you going to show up and when are you going to help these people? But they were disobeying the laws of God. And the prophets and preachers today and God's word today when we read it and being together Like, that's how we understand God wants to bless us. But we got to do the things that He desires us. Like, you can't just live outside of God's way and then expect that God's going to bless everything along your way. That's not how it works. If you're not experiencing the blessings of God like you expect, here's the challenge for this week. Ask yourself a few questions to figure out Why? So if you're in your life that like, God's not doing what I think he ought to be doing, here's a few questions you can ask yourself to get back into that place. Because maybe right now you're like the Israelites and, and you've done some things that God said not to do. Or you're not doing some things that God said you're supposed to do. And, and so there, that relationship with him is, is, is stressed. Like he wants to bless you and he wants to give you good things, but you're not walking in his way. You're trying to get those things outside of him. So here's some questions. Number 1, am I giving to God what he asked for or am I giving him only what I'm willing to let go of? Am I doing what God has asked me to do or am I just giving him what I'm willing to let go of? And sometimes that's tricky like like I'm willing to God I'm willing to give you this but I'm not willing to give you this. Secondly, am I giving to God from my best? or from what's left. We talked a little bit about that last last week. God, am I I giving God my best or does He get like the last? Is, Is this not the start of my week but it's the end of my week Sunday and by the time I come to Sunday I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I don't have anything else to give? Instead of going like, hey, Sunday is the start of the week and here I am and I'm ready to give God to worship you. Maybe you need to ask this question. Am I withholding What he's asked for. Maybe you know, you felt like God's telling you, hey, I want you to step out here, I want you to do this thing, and you're withholding, like, I don't want to do that, or I'm not sure. Or maybe the last one, am I bringing something that he's banned? Am I coming to God with things going on in my life, my thoughts maybe, and, and I'm bringing things into worship? that shouldn't be here. If you want to experience fresh faith in your life, you're going to have to trust God with your life, with every aspect of your life. And whether or not you've got the vision to see how God might work in your situation, He's got dominion over your situation to work in ways that you can't imagine. If you're not willing to be convicted or confronted in your life, then you're going to miss out on the real life that God has for you. A life of freedom freedom and blessing and trust. You know, the Israelites were in a tight spot. It was a difficult situation for them. But their situation hadn't limited God's ability to act on their behalf if they had been faithful to Him instead of following their own plans. And so whether it's through God's Word, whether it's through His people, His presence in our lives by the holy spirit when we allow him to confront us and convict us we actually grow in our faith and trust so we are not only better able to handle difficult situations with faith but we're also in a better position to experience the blessing of god's abundance through our trust in him look if we honor the commands of god even if we can't figure out how he's going to help If we bring to Him in faith the things that He's asked for, even when we don't see how He could make it all work together, we'll see Him bless us, not just our families, not just our our neighborhoods, but the whole city. And we'll experience the outcome that the Israelites were supposed to. It's the end of that verse, uh, chapter 2, that all the nations will call you blessed. Or chapter three, excuse me. All the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. You know, if we could get this as a church, we could understand that I'm gonna bring to God what he's asked. I'm gonna give him the best that I have. I'm I'm not gonna omit, omit the things that he wants me to do. And I'm not gonna do the things that he doesn't want me to do. I'm gonna walk with him and I'm gonna walk in his way even when it's difficult. I'm gonna walk in faith. All the nations would look at us and call us blessed. We wouldn't be trying to get people to come in the doors. They'd be beating them down because they'd go, I don't know what's going on there, but they got something that I want. Hopefully people see that. Hopefully as we follow him, we're a delight to God and to others. Let's pray. God, thanks for just for loving us given us so many good things I pray today God that and you would just help us to love you well to worship you and to, to give to you all the good things that you deserve to bring everything that we can to you even though man we got nothing to bring so God would we just come ourselves give of ourselves to you you help us just to worship you to love you to obey you to, to walk in your ways to experience what it's like to have real life in you when we follow you and you bless us god would we be a church when other people look at us they would go those people are blessed by god we want to be that church because we want to see every person possible find real life in you look more like you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please stand as we sing our last song.